Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Oh, Trent Condon. Four. This is Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Good morning and welcome in. Miller and Condon on the air with you. Back at it on a Monday. Glad to have you aboard with us as we talk the world of sports. Well, as you can hear at the top, Ken is away. A little vacation time for the old man as he is R&R out in California. So you got me here for the next week running solo, though plenty of good guest hosts that are going to be stopping in throughout the week. Tomorrow, coming in for the second hour of the program, Tim Dwight and Tavian Banks as they get ready for another year of their football camps. They're going to be sitting in for an hour with us tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Always great conversations. You never know where it's going to go. Obviously, we'll talk about their upcoming football camps, an opportunity for youth here across Central Iowa to get involved and to learn from a couple of the greats, but we'll go down memory lane. We'll go back. I will complain about the 19 96 Michigan game again, and those guys will probably roll their eyes because I think I've asked them about it a time or two in the past with Tavian running unencumbered up the left sideline, wide open, Matt Sherman doesn't fight him, uh, that aside. We'll talk about that, their careers, and a whole lot more that's coming up in the second hour tomorrow. David Eichholz going to stop by. He will guest host on Wednesday. Thursday, it'll be Cody Goodwin. He will be by, and i uh, hoping to get John Cannon his great NBA insight here on Friday this week. But today, it is you, me, and four guests lined up on the BMW of Des Moines guest list. We kick things off here at about 11.25. Bama Bob's going to stop Stop by and talk college football. Haven't had an opportunity to talk to Bama very much. I was away last week when Ken had him on as I was calling state, uh, state soccer last Tuesday. And congratulations, by the way, to the Johnston Dragons bringing home a couple of crowns, both girls and boys, uh, for the Dragons in that one. But I was away. Ken and Bama talked. And, well, since then, we get the news that the SEC is going to continue to play eight conference games as opposed to most everybody else playing non-conference games. Why is the SEC scared? With the addition of two teams, it doesn't make a lick of sense. You have a 16-team league, and you're only playing eight league games. We will break that down with Bama. Plus, also want to get his thoughts on the latest numbers that are out there to win divisions. We'll talk about the SEC, and I do want to get a snapshot of the SEC from him. In the SEC East this year, no surprise that Georgia is a runaway favorite to win that division. Uh, Bet Rivers, by the way, is the uh, book that has these numbers out right now to win divisions. Everybody else has you know conference odds ups to win the conference championship. A little bit different, though, uh, on that front. So, we have that part. One thing that uh, Georgia minus four hundred, Tennessee four to one, South Carolina eleven to one in the East. In the West, it is Alabama, the betting favorite, minus one eighteen. LSU right behind them, a plus two twenty five. I like that Tiger squad uh, on the surface coming into the year. And then A and M is the third choice at five to one. So we'll talk about that, and then also get his perspective on the Big Ten. Ken and I have talked about this a whole bunch. We both really like this Iowa football team coming into the season. It's not just fanboy. If you know anything about me. I'm usually not a very optimistic person of a team that I cheer for. I think this team has a real chance to be really good, coupled with that schedule. Yet, not only are they the second choice to win the Big Ten West this year behind Wisconsin, it's significant. And when we first started talking about this, Iowa was 3-1 to 
to win the Big Ten West. Now they're plus 350, so you're getting even better odds on the Hawkeye to win that division crown. Yes, they have to travel to Wisconsin this year. Yes, they have to travel to Nebraska. I get that, but the way the schedule sets up, I think Iowa's got a great chance. Now, Wisconsin's schedule is not very difficult either. Outside of their crossover against Ohio State, they get a couple of the lighter weights from the East and the crossover ones there. I just don't think the gap should be that significant. We'll get Bama's perspective on that one. Oh, and by the way, if you're wondering what the odds are in the Big Ten East, Ohio State is the betting favorite. you got to lay minus 112 if you're betting on the Buckeyes to win the East. Michigan at plus 140, and then Penn State at plus 375. So those are the betting odds right now, again, out there with our friends out at Bet Rivers, and you can fire at those right now. So Bama Bob will kick things off on the guest list here today. We'll get him in here probably about 11.25. Then we talk Cyclones with Nick Oson. Plenty to talk about on the Iowa State front. There is a ton going on in the world of Cyclone recruiting. Nick Oson and 24-7 Sports do an outstanding job with that. So we will get into that. Uh, a lot of camp happening also this weekend, football camps, and that is an opportunity Either new offers a lot of times come out of those camps or guys get a little bit closer after another opportunity to go on a visit, to see the campus, get closer and closer to make some decisions. So we'll talk about that. Titus Cram from Bondurant Farrar, he was there. And we'll uh, see what else comes from Nick Oson here at about 11.45 on the Iowa State front. Hour number two, it's Matt Snyder as he does Mondays throughout the baseball season. We break things down from the weekend that was. Now, after last week, I was beating my chest saying, you know, you guys are missing out on this Cincinnati Reds team. Uh, they promptly lost five in a row. And that did not look like the team that we were anticipating we were going to see, or at least I thought we were going to see. I thought they were going to fight for the division. And they had Milwaukee this weekend, and they get swept, and, and here we go again. Another terrible bet out of me on that future market. We'll talk baseball and a whole lot more with Matt Snyder coming up here at about 12.05. And then we wrap up the guest list today with Scott Dotterman from The Athletic talking Iowa Hawkeyes. He's got more out also on the Iowa State front over at The Athletic as they're going through their recruiting series right now and talking about some of the biggest gets, some of the biggest busts in the history of each of the football programs happening. So Scott Dotterman, of course, covers Iowa, also helps out and does a little bit on Iowa State, and he will be by to talk about that and more coming up here at 1225. So that is the BMW Des Moines guest list here for today. We wrap things up at the end of the program as we do each and every day with my picks of the day presented by Circus Sports. And hopefully you're listening on Wednesday as I gave you Victor Hovland 23-1 to to win Jack's tournament. And he comes through with the playoff victory. That was a good one and certainly helping the bottom line. As we add, what's the 11 units yesterday? Over the last seven days, we're up 22.4 units. Over the last 30 days, up 50 units. I'm telling you, I continue to see it well. Golf is something that has become pretty profitable for me. Baseball's a day to day grind, they're not all beauties, but we grind away and hope to eke out a profit at the end of the year. Love doing it, and also love to have those numbers out there. You can follow along. You can verify with me and do that coming up every day at the Action Network app. That is a non-paid endorsement, but I put my picks in there, and you can see where I am each and every day. So that is how the show shakes up here on a Monday. Let's get into the weekend that was, and let's start on the local front for what we saw over the weekend. Iowa baseball became a big story. You know, it's so interesting with Iowa baseball, and it is something that is definitely back burner when their season begins in February, 
into March. They got a little bit of momentum earlier this season with what they did in the win against LSU. I think that led a lot more of the casual people out there to jump aboard to maybe keep a little closer eye than they have throughout the course of the season. And going into this NCAA tournament, you know, we go back a week before the Big Ten tournament, and we knew they were in really good position going into the Big Ten tournament. And after beating Michigan in that first game, even if they, I think, would have went 0-2 after that, they solidly would have been in. They got a number 2 seed in the region. That shows that they were comfortably, I think, into the big bracket. But you go back, make the run to the championship game, and the thing that made this team different, and the thing that made my optimism raise up for them is what they had with the starting rotation. And we saw that with Marcus Morgan and what he did Friday night to get things started against North Carolina. Then on Saturday, Brody Brecht. We know the control can be an issue. We also know that the stuff is as dynamic as anybody in college baseball. And that's not hyperbole. There will be scouts that will tell you the same thing. There are people that follow college baseball a whole lot closer than I do, and most everybody I'm going to guess in the listening audience that tell Brody Breck is going to be a first-rounder. I mean, if his arm is okay, no arm troubles, anything like that, he's going to be a first-round pick. And some people believe top-ten pick, and people even believe higher than that for Breck next season. That's what he has. He has the golden arm. And he pumps up there consistently in the upper 90s, and he can hit triple digits, but he also has a wipeout slider. It's the control. And though at times, again, the shaky control showed up a couple of times on Saturday evening, he was able to bear down, get out of jam. So they go into the eighth inning, and that was a problem going back to Friday night as they held on in game one against North Carolina. They went to the bullpen, and I saw a lot of hand-wringing about the decision. Look, Bertie Brett had just thrown 109 pitches. It was the most in his career at the collegiate level. He had been out there in some big spots. Another thing that you have to realize is... There is something that we certainly don't measure at home. You just look at pitch count, right? Well, one thing that many baseball teams do, and I know Iowa baseball does this, is it's not just about pitch count. It is about pitch count with runners on, pitch count with runners in scoring position, those kind of things, those higher leverage situations that matter a whole lot more than just how many pitches you threw, and he had a ton of those high leverage pitches. And because of that, there's a belief out there that it is even more taxing on the arm when that plays out. So that is, I think, part of the decision. 109 pitches. you got a guy that's going to have a monster contract. He's going to be a first-rounder. You don't want to wear him into the ground. You can't do that. And ultimately, Iowa baseball was not playing to beat Indiana State on Saturday night. They were playing to win their region. That's what they were looking to do. And they thought their best course of action was to go to the pen. It didn't work. Yeah, it stinks. You give up that five-run inning, you're left shaking your head and a lot of questioning, pulling guys at the right time. It's going to happen. They bounce back, though, still after the loss on Saturday night, still alive in the double elimination tournament, and it took 13 innings, but Iowa got it done on Sunday morning into the afternoon. A one driven out to center field. Long run back there, and a dive from Horvath can't make the catch. Southfield's going to come around. He will score. Up to third base goes Michael Seegers in Iowa. Takes a 6-5 to five lead here in the top of the 13th inning. And Iowa holds on and gets the win. Punch their ticket into the next round against Indiana State. And what was, I guess, a regional final is what you would consider it. Now, Iowa had to double dip the Sycamores to get there. Afternoon game after you use your starters. Langenberg then went on the Sunday game against North Carolina. Your three starters that were your starters throughout the course of this season, they're not available. Your bullpen had been used a bunch. You go into this one knowing that we're going to have to score. And it fell apart. 
control was all over the place, hitting guys, walks, so many free bases out there. And for the guys that went out there and pitched on Sunday afternoon for Iowa, from Kate Obermuller, who's got a chance to be really, really good. He's going to be a big part of the future of Iowa baseball. Just put in a spot that is incredibly difficult. That's what makes these regionables so tough. And you, you can't lose one of those first two games. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is something that you just... The 2-0 and start is so important, and certainly at a program like Iowa. Look, there's teams in the South and the SEC and the ACC that have depth and depth and depth in their pitching staffs. That's not the case for Iowa. And we've talked so much about the suspension to Keaton Anthony and what that has meant for this team, and you lose your best offensive weapon. Yet, Iowa continued to charge along. Now, what if they had an extra bat in there? Could have been different. How many times they had bases loaded, runners in scoring position throughout this weekend and couldn't break through? Yet another solid bat into that lineup. We can have that conversation. But another thing with Anthony, he's a pretty good pitcher, too. And, and he could have helped out on the bump throughout this one. Another one of the suspended players was another one of their bullpen arms, so you're taxed on that. And then Cade Moss, kid from local local kid here playing the CIML. Cade Moss is out there, former Johnston Dragon. He is having to p- catch every game because the two backup catchers were out there. And how much did that impact him? And just how dead tired he had to be and having to play all the innings, basically, in the doubleheaders uh, that they had to play yesterday. I mean, there was just so much on this team. A great season, ends with 44 victories, and there's a bunch coming back next season. This team is going to have their top two next year with Morgan, with Brody Breck coming back at the top of the rotation. Langenberg, he can come back. I mean, there is a lot of returning talent. I'm going to anticipate that this is going to be a preseason top 25 team. I don't know if that's ever been the case for Iowa baseball. Didn't end the way that we wanted, but we did get a highlight. How about the big man? Garen with the blast against Indiana State. Oh, this one's crushed. Blake Garen out to left field. At the warning track, leaping up Pottinger, and it's out of here. Blake Garen in his 29th at-bat of the season blasts his first home run of the year. Big guy with the blast, that call from ESPN, plus the call earlier from the win against North Carolina from the ACC Network. Iowa sees that season come to a close, and it could have been. Absolutely. Arkansas, they got to win two in order to get the home field advantage in the Super Regional. If not, Indiana State would host against TCU as NCAA baseball continues. I was watching the whip around coverage, really got into that when Iowa wasn't playing. Enjoy the weekend. And college baseball, no, it's not basketball. For us here in this state, it's not wrestling. It's obviously not college football, but pretty good niche. Pretty good niche, and I was into it over the weekend. One thing Ken and I talked about last week, and it played out again. Boy, in comparison to watching Major League Baseball, the game is slow. Let's get a pitch clock going there in college baseball. Let's quicken up the pace just a little bit because, man, things slow down in a big, big way when you're watching college baseball as opposed to MLB. Also, yes, we had the Stanley Cup. I didn't watch a lick of Game 1. I was out at the Iowa Cubs game on Saturday, so it was my daughter's birthday as she turned 8 on Saturday. Had the birthday party, did all that, had some friends over, and then we went out to the Iowa Cubs game. The Caitlin Clark experience. Now, we did not wait in line for the autograph of Caitlin Clark uh, for my daughter. When we got there, the line was super, super long. She goes out there. Clark delivers a beautiful first pitch to open up the ball game. Then goes back in for another half hour, signs even more autographs uh, for the people that were in line. But a great environment, cool scene there. 
how many times are you going to see 10,000 people come out for minor league baseball when the first pitch is a women's basketball player? Well, when it's Caitlin Clark, that is the difference. And it wouldn't matter if you could throw out some of the greats. If George Niang comes out, are we going to see that many people come out to watch Niang throw out a first pitch and sign some autographs? No. Luca Garza? No. You Brock Purdy? Probably not. It's the Caitlin Clark effect. It is just so different than anything that we have seen before. There is not a player in our state that commands that. And it's because you're adding a whole other demographic. Of course, you have the sports fans and the guys that are into it. But then you add the women's component and seeing just the lines and hordes of little girls out there waiting for her autograph. Along with the guys, plenty of dads there and even some solo adults that were waiting for the autograph and getting the bobblehead, all that stuff. It was a really, really cool scene and always fun to get out to the iCubs. In fact, it was my first iCubs game of the season, so nice to get out there, watch a little baseball, and we are lucky here in Des Moines of what we get. Wrapping things up, let's uh, take a look at NBA Game 2. I called this thing's over in four, at best five. No way that Denver's going to lose. Wrong, wrong, wrong. It is so difficult. I like to be based in analytics. I like to have numbers to back up my theories. And outside of three-point variance, there just isn't a whole lot with this Miami team that is very easy to explain. How is this happening? How a team with seven undrafted free agents, how a team that is built behind Jimmy Butler, who's a nice, solid player, and we know he takes it up to another level, but you got Bam out there doing his thing. Another nice performance from him. You got old Kevin Love out there in the starting lineup. You have Struess and Vincent. These guys just coming from nowhere. How are they able to do it? Duncan Robinson, what multiple times throughout this season has been left for dead. And people think that he's not even going to get out. He's been called the worst contract in the NBA, and he still might be. Yet, he goes out there and has a huge stretch in this game. Their offensive efficiency in the fourth quarter is completely through the roof. It's something we've never seen before. In an NBA Finals game, they do this in the fourth quarter. They do it on the road against Denver in the altitude. A Denver team that hadn't lost in the playoffs at home. How do these things continue to happen? And I can't put my finger on it. And it's incredibly frustrating as a fan of sport and somebody that likes to be able to come up with something to support it. There is different. And the culture thing, I said it last week, culture and team building and those kind of things. I I think there's so many of those times that they're just thrown out there and they don't mean crap. They just don't. When you're talking about team culture, it is a bunch of cliches. It's probably the same thing you have in your office and they don't mean anything. Miami's different. It does mean something there. I can't put my finger on it. I can't find numbers to support it. But here we are. Well, the numbers that were most important, Miami, 17 of 35 from downtown. Still, even with that, they're up late by eight in the final minutes of the game. Yet Denver never went away, and they had an opportunity as the horn sounded. Does have a timeout, but they're not using it. Four seconds. Murray, step back, three-pointer. One go. Fight for the rebound, Martin, and it's over. The Miami Heat have tied the NBA Finals. What a comeback here on the road for the Heat, and it's one apiece. 1-1, back to Miami we go. Breen with the call on ABC last night. Miami, a 111-108 victory, tie up the series, and this team just continues to defy any logic out there and find a way to win a game on the road. Beautiful game, the fourth quarter, 36 points there, until they miss a bunch of shots late. Here's another thing. So a lot of people are talking about 
Nikola Jokic, and only having four assists in the game. Now, I know you can play this game all the time for any player, almost any player, and guys missing shots. How many open three-pointers, or just open shots in general, did his teammates miss? And people think that all of a sudden Spolstra, he pushed this magic button, and we're, we're just going to let Joker get his. Jokic can go out there. He gets his buckets, but we're not going to let him be the facilitator. He still passed well. It didn't show up in assists because guys missed shots. That's going to happen, too. That's the variance that is such a big factor in NBA games. I don't believe that this was Spolstra suddenly coming up with something. You know, they're down eight with a couple minutes to go in the third quarter, and he thought maybe this thing was going to be left for dead until that ridiculous fourth quarter out of Miami, and here we are, tied up 1-1. Hopefully we have a series. Push this thing out, right? Let's keep extending it. Let's get all the way to a Game 7 on Sunday, June 18th. Keep pushing it back. That's what we're looking for in the NBA. We're going to take a quick time out here on Miller and Condon. Trent Condon running solo with you. It's 11.20. As we come back, we will talk with Bama Bob. Off-season college football in the SEC. Weak sauce. Only eight conference games. Bama will try to explain it from a Southern perspective. That's as we continue here. It's Miller and Condon on 106 points. Monday, it's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO. Trent Condon solo this week. It's time to get into the guest list. BMW of Des Moines guest list kicks off here today as we talk college football. You hear that music. You know what it means. He is the infamous Bama Bob. Bama, how's the summer going, buddy? It's going pretty good. Uh, I'm glad to hear that Ken's taking a, uh, I'm sure, a well-deserved vacation. Oh, absolutely, yes. we, yeah, we got to get yeah. a little relaxation, and we got to get him fired up for football season. Plus, he says June is the worst sports month, so this is the time that yeah. he likes to take away. Yeah, I'm guessing he's not into the uh, NCAA baseball and softball tournament. No. Not, not the same way. <laughs> well, here in our state, we were certainly invested with the Hawkeyes yeah, this week. and. You know, a really good starting rotation. They had some depth in the lineup. Let one slip away on Saturday night. Bama, you follow college baseball down there. You know it incredibly well. Boy, that leg up you get with a 2-0 and start in the regional. It, it's not impossible, but it is so tough if you lose one of those first games. It really is, and you, you've got to – I don't know what the stats are, probably, what, over 80%. If you go 2-0, and you, you wind up advancing uh, out of the – you know, to the Super Regional, but – I think Iowa had a good season. Um, I didn't. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know Indiana State was that good. Yeah. Um, and that, but that's a that's a really good Midwest matchup. I mean, I'm I'm kind of in, obviously you know Auburn Auburn was you know two and done uh, down here. Uh, Penn actually has a chance playing Southern Miss today to go to the Super Regionals. Penn, <laughs> not Penn State. Penn, um, Alabama advanced, so that was a you know kind of a big deal, but. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm kind of into this Florida-Texas Tech. You talked, you know, Florida, had, they had to go the tough route, but now they've got the Game 7 today, and those are two pretty heavyweight teams. Oh, no doubt uh, about it. I'm looking baseball. forward to it. Hey, college yeah. baseball is fun. Now, one thing, and we talked about this last week coming on the heels of Iowa's run to the Big Ten Championship and the Big Ten Tournament, is, uh, boy, it's slow. After watching Major League Baseball, let's get a pitch yeah. clock going in college baseball. Yeah, it is. Um, well, they have a pitch clock in college baseball. They don't. They don't have the disengagement rule, so you can throw over. 
you know, a ridiculous number of times. They, you know, I don't think there's a visit rule or anything, but they do have a 20-second rule, at least from what I've seen, you know, in, in, in the NCAA tournament, because there was a couple of pitch clock violations. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, look, softball is the one if you, you – know, and I, you know, call me crazy. I kind of like I, – I check in in the Super Regionals and then the – the women's world series i just i don't know i find it fun mm-hmm. um i didn't think i would but the last few years i've been kind of invested in it they need a pitch clock because after every single pitch you know the pitcher walks back she goes through the circle the batter's doing the nomar garcia para thing mm-hmm. uh you know the shortstop comes in every freaking pitch and mm-hmm. like you know has a word i'm like just can we just get on with it and pitch but you know they're only seven innings and um you know but it, it's I, I'm invested in it, but yeah, the, the pitch clock has saved the sport. I think uh, Major League Baseball. I really think it has because um, the way it was going, it was just you were losing audience. You know, the younger audience, especially with the attention span of a gnat. You know, they're they're just not going to sit around for a three and a half, four hour baseball game. They're 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 just not. So uh, I like it. You know, it's down to what two hours and forty minutes on average now, which is a pretty good sample size. So I. I think it saved the product. I really do. I'm right there with you. It makes it very enjoyable, and it also makes you much more engaged in the yes. sport. I mean, how many times Absolutely. the last couple of years where it just be out in the background, man? You know, a couple innings yeah. has gone by, and you don't really know what happened. Now you got to be into it. You got to kind of be there, locked in, if right. you're going to be watching baseball because it's just boom, 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 and it's happening, and it's a big thing certainly for baseball. Well, Bama, we brought you in not to talk much about baseball, though it's always good <laughs> to talk about that. It is football and. The news last week of the SEC going to eight games. Now, no surprise, national media. Staying at eight games. Yeah, just <laughs> killing them for not going to nine like everybody else. But one thing that I do think needs to be said, in at least a little bit of support of the SEC, is that this is not for impurity. This is not going to happen for the next decade. This is no. basically a decision for 2024. See the first year of the playoff, and then we'll see. So... I'm not going to completely kill them because of that, but I frankly don't like it. Well, here's the thing, and, and you're right. There's some pra- and, and listen, you know, it's 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 easy money right now. You know, it's, it's just the lazy narrative. Oh, you know, the SEC, blah blah blah. Okay, so if you're Greg Sankey, the commissioner, you've won 13 of the last 17 national championships. Why do you need to change anything? Why do you want to align with the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the Pac 12? Uh, the other team, the other conference that plays. Uh, you know, eight is the ACC. They've won the other, you know, three of the other four. The only team outside of the SEC or the ACC since Vince Young <laughs> in 2005 was Ohio State in 2014. So, listen, they're taking a pragmatic wait and see approach, which I think is right. And I think there's there's several realistic reasons for them. Some of them, you know, one of them is monetary. Okay, they just signed this humongous deal with ESPN. Uh, you know, to replace uh, the SEC on CBS. Okay, right now there's 56 conference games. Okay, you're about to add, I don't know, another, what, 16, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If you go, whatever, you know, so they're going to want money for that. Okay, so I'm sure there'll be there'll be those uh, discussions that happens. Um, the other thing is, for 24 and 25, there's a lot of non-conference games already scheduled, and you would there's a lot of buyouts that would have to happen. Uh, for Alabama, just take them for example, and that's that's the other lazy narrative I've seen. Oh, Alabama has no incentive to schedule anybody now. Well, go look at their future, you know, schedule. They've got Wisconsin. They're finishing up a home and home with Texas. 
They've got home and home with, with Wisconsin, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Florida State on the on the thing on the uh, future schedule. So that's that's another lazy narrative. But there are a lot of buyouts. Is, is uh, Alabama going to buy out Wisconsin for twenty four and twenty five, or are they going to buy out somebody else? So uh, and then are they going to play you know nine conference games in the Big Ten team? I think it preserves some of the like Clemson, South Carolina, South Carolina, you know, Florida, Florida State, Kentucky, Louisville. You know, those teams now are going to play nine conference games and be able to keep those, uh, you know, in-state rivalries at the end of the season. Um, I think we're looking at more of a uh, 26, uh, you know, 2026, I think. I know the SEC ultimately wants to get to a nine-game schedule. And what they, the reason they want that is they want to be able to have your three permanent opponents, and that is a big source of contention right now. You know, is, is Alabama going to have Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn? Is Auburn going to have you know Alabama, Georgia, and Florida? Uh, is is Texas going to have Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and LSU? I mean, wow. you know, while you know, I mean, as your permanent opponents, and then rotate everybody else. But they want the rotation because they want Texas and Georgia to play. If you go to three permanent and six rotating, then everybody's coming to your school or to your campus every four years. You're guaranteed to get the entire conference through there. Uh, since since A&M joined, I think, 12 years ago, I think it is, uh, Georgia has yet, yet to go to College Station. Okay, so that's what the current model gets to. That's what they're going to want to see. I mean, who, who doesn't want to see – uh, you know, Texas at Florida or Oklahoma at Georgia or, you know, that those type of games. That's what you want. But right now they have no – listen, they routinely get two of the four teams. I don't think they're worried about getting two out of 12. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so when we go to go to that in 24. So I, I, I get the – there's practical reasons for this. They really have don't have a lot of incentive to change. They're going to want that extra money. Mm-hmm. Uh, from ESPN to add more inventory because that was based on the current, you know, 14 teams and eight games. So when you add those extra 16 conference games, they're going to want money for that. And I think it's going to happen. Uh, the buyouts are a big thing. I think it's just going to be a couple of years down the road. That makes a lot of sense. Bama, you explained it well. I'm not going to kill him. not going to kill the SEC because I think you're <laughs> right. This is going to eventually happen. It will. And we don't ultimately – the way we're trending. And when we look to the future of the 12-team playoff, it's we're not going to have six automatic bids, the way it's going to be structured starting next season. After the two years of that contract, as it comes up with ESPN, it's likely going to be 12 at-large selections. I mean, could that be a real possibility that that's where we trend to? And for the SEC, and to a lesser degree, the Big Ten and what they're creating, that they want to keep as many open slots available. And sorry, Pac-12, you're not going to get an automatic bid. Sorry, the group of five, you're not going to get an automatic bid. We're just going to take the 12 best. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, I think that's where we're headed. Look, I I like the six automatic. I think if you win your your conference – uh, I think you, you know, you should be able to, you know, make the big dance, if you will, if you want to call it that. Uh, I do, I really, really like the group of five automatic bids. Um, whatever, however you're going to, you know, whether that's going to be, you know, a committee, whether it's going to be, you know, the highest ranked poll, I don't care how you do it, but I really love the automatic bid to a group of five team, especially the way now you hear with all, you know, there's still more realignment coming. The Pac-12, Frankly, if they get left out of it, they got nobody to blame but themselves. They can't even get a TV deal done, okay? 
And now you hear about, you know, Colorado and, and who else is it, you know, looking to bolt to the Big 12. And, and those those conversations right now seem, I mean, there's a lot of smoke there, okay? Mm-hmm. So the Pac-12, I think, has had just two horrible commissioners. They, you know, I think it all started when they couldn't get the deal done with DirecTV, okay? For whatever reason, their Pac-12 network, they were just so, uh, you know, emboldened to that. They thought that, you know, majority of the country cared about it. A majority of the country doesn't. Uh, you know, there's, you know, USC is your only real brand name in that conference and they're leaving. Uh, so, I mean, listen, if, if they get left out, I, you know, adding San Diego State, is that a needle mover? I don't think so. Uh, especially not in football, barely in basketball, uh, even though they made the title game. So if they get left out, I don't feel bad for them, uh, because they've had almost, I don't know, six, seven, eight years to figure this out and they can't figure it out. Um, but I do, so, if you want to make it five bids, if you want to leave them out because their conference is disintegrating, that's fine. But I, I, I would really like to see the group of five. Who, because who, that group of five is probably just going to keep getting larger and larger or shrinking, however you want to look at it. Uh, if you have teams like San Diego State and all these other teams you know, joining conferences, see what the Big 12 is now. All those are the group of five schools that are joining the Big 12. So I like having a team from that from outside the big four, if you will, uh, get a seat at the dance because otherwise they're just not going to get in. I mean, if you if you don't if you don't put an automatic qualifier in there for the highest ranked team, they're very very unlikely to get in. And I just think it's great for the sport. I think it's good for whoever that is, and and those can be program changers. So, um, I, I I think you're right. I think we're going to get you know, I I do see the rule of. I like the rule of no more than three from a conference because you don't want, you know, five ACC teams or five, you know, you didn't get that, but five SEC teams yeah. or, you know, four Big Ten or what. You don't want, you don't want a Big Ten versus SEC playoff with, you know, 10 of the 12 teams. So I do like the three from maximum from a conference. I like that. I'd like to see the group of five survive. I don't know if you're going to get the three. Maybe a four, Max. I could see. I don't think we're even going to get down to three. A 12 team, man, I like three. Yeah. I just, I, I, I agree with you and I understand it. But I mean, I don't, who wants to see four SEC teams? I right. don't. Eight and you four know, LSU I, as the twelve yeah, seed, like, yeah. right? And I'm sure yeah, they're, I mean, they're very well going to be years where they're definitely probably even a top ten team with four losses, just the way the schedule played out. But there is something well, that what, does make that. Yeah, difficult. and what I hope we see is I hope I hope we do see more of these big non-conference or inter-conference games, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they're non-conference. Um, you know, like like again, and I keep going back to Alabama. They've got. You know, they're finishing up the home-and-home home with Texas. And this is before the merger. Now, this will now be a conference game, you know, right. going forward. But, um, you know, they've got Wisconsin on the schedule. They've got Ohio State on the schedule. Um, I know Georgia's got uh, a couple of big, you know, Tennessee, LSU, they all play, uh, you know, these big non-conference games. And that's what I want to continue to see. And that's where the nine-game schedule kind of concerns me is, are those teams then going to just say, all right, well, we don't have to play nine because – uh, you know, are we going to play a, another Power Five team uh, out in addition to it? Right now, the SEC has a rule that you have to play one Power Five team every year. It doesn't say they have to be any good. It just has to be a Power Five team. It can be Kansas. Well, that's a Power Five team. Okay, so I and then you know they always get killed for the you know UT Chattanooga at the end of the year and all that. Well, and you know I can always point to okay, fine, Alabama's playing UT Chattanooga in Week Eleven. And I can point to week two when they were playing Texas and Ohio State was playing Youngstown State. So it's just a matter of when you play it and all that. But uh, I just, 
I, I love these big, uh, you know, the, the Georgia Notre Dames and the USC Florida. Like, you know, Florida's going to Utah this year in Salt Lake City. That'd be a great game mm-hmm. to go see. I love those kind of games, and I just hope we continue to see them if everybody moves to a nine, which I think we're going to eventually. Uh, and, again, I'll predict 2026 for that to happen. Bama, in our final minute, I sent along some odds. We've talked about the to win the conference championship odds. They've been out there for, what, five, yep. six weeks now. But Bet Rivers has division odds up for the SEC and the Big Ten. Now, we don't got time to go through all of them, but anything in the SEC jump out to you? And then I do want to get your thoughts on the Big Ten West. Okay, so the SEC, I'm looking at Alabama, obviously the favorite, minus 118, LSU two, plus 225. I tell you, Bobby Petrino at A&M is, mm. is, is a wild card. Uh, he's running the offense. He's not the head coach. Jimbo Fisher has been stubborn. He's been overwhelmed the last several years. That team has grossly underachieved. And I think it shows how desperate he is to hire a guy, not because of Petrino's past, but because of what he can do. And he's basically a coach in waiting if Fisher doesn't get it done. Okay, so... They're sitting there at plus 500. I haven't looked at the schedule or analyzed it too deeply. I know they do have to go to Alabama, so that might be a challenge. Mm-hmm. But him running that offense out there, I think, uh, and that's all he has to worry about. <laughs> okay. And staying off I motorcycles. Mean, I, yeah, staying off motorcycles and let Fisher be the CEO or whatever. I mean, that's a team I'm looking at at plus 500 that, that would kind of that gets my attention. The rest of it, the Big Ten West, I mean, you know, I know. Can Iowa really be as bad on offense as they have been? They can't. Not with I the mean, additions that they have brought in. And no, even if that offensive line is a C minus, that's a huge step from what they've been the last two years. It is. I'm so. I'm looking at them. I, the, the you know the the barter retirement is interesting. Um, you know that you know I'm sure brings in Ferentz's future. Listen, in the East, it, it's Ohio State and Michigan. Penn State's the third best at plus three seventy five. I'm not going against Ohio State. I know they lose a lot with Stroud and. Look, the SEC East just, I mean, handed to Georgia right now. I think <laughs> even though Bennett is left, they're just reloading. Um, Tennessee, if Hooker was back, I'd really, I'd take a little bit of a flyer on Tennessee, but because Georgia has to go to Knoxville this year. So that's an interesting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, interesting little game. But, um, yeah, the one to me out of those four, I'm just looking at A&M at plus 500 because the question for Alabama quarterback, is shaky. You know, who's it going to be? It's going to be somebody new. Is it going to be the freshman? Is it going to be Milrow, who hasn't impressed? Um, they do get the Notre Dame transfer uh, through the portal. Who's you know? So where's that going to be? Um, you know, Nick Saban is he declining? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe a little bit, but he had an incredibly high bar that he set. So uh, that's the one I'm looking at. A and M plus five hundred in the West. I'll probably take a little bit of a flyer on that one. All right. Well, Bama, we will certainly talk to you in the coming weeks. we got to make our June predictions, as we like to do, before we get real deep into things and yes, see how we those look at the end. ourselves in December. Yes, exactly. And right. it wasn't too shabby last year, if I remember correctly. I think we ended up kind of on the plus side of the ledger. So we'll try to do it again, and we'll talk to you again here in the next week or two, Bama. Yep, sounds good. Take care. Bama Bob jumping in with us, talking some college football and a little college baseball. Always great catching up with Bama Bob. Due for a timeout when we return, we will talk Iowa State. Time to talk Cyclones with Nick Oson from CycloneAlert.com. That's next as we roll through on a Monday. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. Shine your side.
12 minutes to the top of the hour. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO. I'm Trent Condon. Solo this weekend on vacation. He'll be back with us next Monday. What he calls the worst week in the sports calendar. I disagree. I, well, I, I think they're all good for different reasons. How about that? I don't like the negativity that Ken brings from time to time. Let's get into Iowa State here as we talk right now with Nick Oson. 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com is where you can go for all the great information on Cyclone athletics, including a lot in the recruiting space. Busy weekend, I know, for you in June. It's a different one, certainly in your world, right, with recruiting and how important this time as it is with football camps and everything going on. June is not the worst sports month for you, Nick. I was just thinking the same thing, Trent. You know, not only – I'm definitely an optimist within the sports world as well, but, yeah, these two or three weeks, actually some of the busiest. I'm doing some preview stuff right now, and, you know, you could argue that first half or so of June maybe the most important in terms of recruiting in the class of 2024. So let's just start kind of on the base level, what these weekends are like bringing guys in the camp. Now – I went to camps when I was a youngster. I was not a recruitable athlete, though, and not a guy that was getting any kind of college (laughs) scholarships. So what it's like, I mean, is this something where the elite-level prospects, the guys that they think either they have an offer or they think they might offer, are kind of off in one part of the camp, and then the other ones where a guy's just trying to be the the backup left guard on his high school team, he's over there. How does this all set up? Yeah, I really like that question, Trent. So actually, what's really cool, at least in my experiences here at Iowa State, you know, from what I've seen last year and this year, everybody kind of does things uh, together, you know, throughout the camp. And then if maybe some of the top guys emerge, let's say there's a top D lineman or pass rusher, you know, I kind of saw that over the weekend with a couple in-state guys we can maybe touch on. Then maybe they'll call out a couple of the better O-linemen and have them kind of go against each other. In some of those drills, you know, I think you get a great look at who's really good. I think that's fair. Also, you're maybe not putting, you know, a a soon-to-be senior against maybe a little 14- or 15-year-old because the the ages kind of do range a little bit. But other than that, everybody kind of, yeah, comes into the mix. I think there's generally a sense maybe going in of some guys that you kind of keep an eye on, whether they've got an offer or they're potentially going to get one. And Everybody just competes. It's a really cool event, honestly, Trent. Yeah, that that is that's really interesting in the way that that's set up. Well, a lot of these guys are going there trying to pick up their offer, and an in-state uh, defense alignment did just that. Brody Club from Clear Creek, Amanda, right uh Stones throw away from Iowa City, picks up his first D1 offer at the FCS level, uh, FBS level, and gets it from Iowa State. What can you tell us about him and getting that offer? We've seen this happen a lot of times, too. You get that first big offer, and then the dominoes start to fall afterwards. Yeah, and an interesting note on that, Trent, that I'll touch on. So with Brody, that was his first offer. I'm only a little bit surprised that it kind of took this long. I think he's a player that has a really high floor in terms of his potential, uh, kind of as well as his long-term development. Tough kid, strong, great work ethic. I liked what I saw. I'm not sure I maybe, you know, would have initially picked some of these guys to get offers going in, but he was certainly a name I was very familiar with. And so we'll see whether it's an in-state offer or others down the line. I certainly think there will be more for club and, I'll mention another in-state edge, Jack Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. His, his recruitment has actually been, you know, really, really good uh, for a little while. He picked up offers from Nebraska, K-State. I believe he's going to camp at Iowa. He grabbed the Cyclones offer over the weekend, too. So some really good 
D-line talent in a class you know, Trent. 2025 is going to be awesome here in Iowa. Yeah, and that Limbaugh kid, I really like him from what I saw out of him out of Algona. A really impressive. A uh, guy that was there and going through as a commitment, and that is the quarterback for the class of 2024, Connor Moberly from Southeast Polk. Uh, what's the latest on Connor's front, what we've seen out of him, and continuing to go through the process and meet up with some potential future teammates at camp? Yeah, so, you know, Moberly, I, I caught up with him a few days back, and he's just really kind of enjoying where he's at now, having the, you know, commitment part of things behind him. He's been working on recruiting a couple other guys, like you just kind of alluded to. You know, he played a nice role in Dontrell Holt, the big-time offensive lineman committing, and he'll actually be back here on campus this weekend. Moberly will take his official visit with a lot of the commits in the class for Iowa State. So in-state looking forward to 2025 and maybe the headliner of the class because of the position that he plays on top of it is from West Des Moines Valley, Zay Robinson. Uh, called a number of Zay's games a season ago. I also live in West Des Moines, used to teach there. Know a lot of people, this is a young man that a lot of people are rooting for. I want to see the best for him. And, you know, he has talent just oozing out. Already has offers from Iowa, Missouri. Deion Sanders in Colorado have already offered him. He is a big-time prospect. As it pertains to him staying in-state, though, I know it's still really early. We're talking about a guy that still just completed his sophomore year. Does he seem like a kid that would be more receptive to looking around, or does he seem like the kind of guy to you when you've talked to him that in-state would make sense? Yeah, I will say in agreement, Trent, Zay Robinson is is a really special player. I've been able to see him play basketball, football, Mm -hmm. camp, been around him. Totally agree with his talent level and It'll be fun to watch. Now, in terms of his recruitment, he's a guy, and you can kind of see this based on his camp schedule this summer, you know, he's really going to put in the time at all of these places where he may not have offers yet. Like, he went to Notre Dame. I believe he'll be going to Michigan. I know that Oregon has shown some interest. I think he's someone, you know, he told me just last week for an interview, relationships will be big no matter where, as well as a potential I get the sense like a role in the offense that would make a lot of sense. So I do think Iowa's really pushing. I know Iowa State is in a good spot, and he really likes the Cyclones. But I think that's one trend where you'll definitely have to kind of wait and follow to see what other schools get heavily involved and really make him a priority like these in-state schools seem to be doing. We go from Zay Robinson of Valley to Xavier Robinson, a running back, a four-star from Oklahoma. He's got a host of big-time offers, and Iowa State is right there involved. What's the likelihood, A, visit-wise, and secondly, commitment-wise, for Xavier Robinson to make his way to Ames? Yeah, definitely, Trent. So I would say 100% uh, likely for him to be coming for a visit. He's Mm -hmm. got an OV scheduled for this weekend. This weekend. And again, as you saw, we just caught up, and really only two officials set as of right now. He'll be coming to Iowa State and then the in-state Sooners next week. In terms of long-term for a commitment, I'm not quite ready to make like a crystal ball or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. Iowa State staff, like Coach Shieldhouse got this thing started, and now Coach Jordan Lang's at the running back position. Honestly, Trent, they have done a terrific job. That is a position where you can obviously see success under Matt Campbell and Iowa State when you look at guys in the NFL, just Brees Hall just this last season. Among others, if there was a team I would pick, not ready to make a pick, but I would say Iowa State sits very well going into OB weekend. 
Ah, that's certainly exciting right there for Cyclone fans. Another three-star running back. This one from our state, Bondurant for ours, Titus Cram, has an offer from Iowa State. What's the latest on his recruitment and what is happening visit-wise for Cram? Yeah, so he was at camp over the weekend. I think that was really cool that he wanted to kind of come out and perform. Overall, a really good day. It sounds like he is, you know, still very high on Iowa State and potentially a couple other schools. But as of, you know, Saturday or yesterday morning, I don't believe he necessarily has any official visits uh, set up here in the near future. I could see him maybe taking things a little slower uh, in terms of both potential commitment as well as the process. We'll see kind of who he feels the best about and who's really pushing for him. But it was a good thing that he came out Saturday, Trent, and I think that is only going to help Titus long-term. He looked healthy, and and he looked really good overall. Yeah, it was interesting uh, reading through your article at CycloneAlert.com just talking about communication with Iowa State, how things had gone down, and like you said, just re-engaging that relationship, probably a good thing. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, you know, from people I was around, you know, whether that's current guys at, at Iowa State or just some of the staff that's working the camp, I think he had really an overall good day. Like I said, I think people felt very good about that. It'll just be interesting, you know, how some of the numbers kind of potentially come out through the rest of his recruitment, whether Robinson continues to be really high on Iowa State and things like that. You know, as I've mentioned on this show, not expected to be a huge class in terms of just sheer numbers for 2024 in the Cyclone. Well, out of time for today, Nick. Always appreciate a lot of football recruiting talk. And if people want to get involved with what you're doing over at CycloneAlert.com, part of 24-7 Sports, what's the best way to get over there and get all the information? Thank you so much, Trent. So we actually have, I think, the best uh, promo that I have been a part of, 60% off, so just about $40 for an entire year. You know, I'm not someone to kind of overhype things, I promise you. If you pick a time to get on, whether it's recruiting or another surprise I've got coming this week, this would be the time to do it, Trent. That's awesome. Nick Oson, 24-7 Sports. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Hour down, one more to go. We kick it off talking baseball. Matt Snyder joins us.